Chapters 18 and 19 of The Mistress of Shenston by Florence Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 18. What Billy Had to Tell Did you bring your rackets, boys? Lady Ingleby had said with fine self-control, adding, when they admitted rackets left in the hall, Ah, I am glad you never can resist the chestnut court. It seems ages since I saw you two fight out a single do go on and begin i will order tea out there in half an hour and follow you then she escaped to the terrace flew across garden and lawn and sought the shelter of the beeches arrived there she sank into the chair in which jim eyre had sat so immovable and covered her face with her trembling fingers oh jim jim she sobbed my darling how grievously i wronged you my king among men how i misjudged you imputing to you thoughts of which you in your noble large-heartedness would scarcely know the meaning oh my dear forgive me and oh come to me through this darkness and explain what i have done wrong explain what it is you have to face tell me what has come between us for indeed if you leave me i shall die myra now felt certain that the fault was hers and she suffered less than when she had thought it his yet she was sorely perplexed for if the earl of Airth and monteith might write himself down jim Airth in the moorhead inn visitor's book and be blameless why might not lady ingleby of shenston take an equally simple name without committing an unpardonable offence myra pondered wept and reasoned round in a circle growing more and more bewildered and perplexed but by and by she went indoors and tried to remove all traces of recent tears she must not let her sorrow make her selfish ronald and billy would be wanting tea and expecting her to join them meanwhile the two friends their rackets under their arms had strolled through the shrubbery at the front of the house to the beautiful tennis lawns long renowned as being the most perfect in the neighbourhood many a tournament had been there fought out in presence of a gay crowd lining the courts beneath the shady chestnut trees but on this day the place seemed sad and deserted they played one set in silence hardly troubling to score then walked to the net and stood close together one on either side we must tell her said ronald examining his racket minutely i suppose we must agreed billy reluctantly we could not let her marry him duffer you don't suppose he would dream of marrying her he will come back and tell her himself to-morrow we must tell her to spare her that interview she need never see him again i say ron did you see her go quite pink when she told us his name and in spite of the trouble to-day she looks half a dozen years younger than when she went away you know she does old man oh that's the rest cure explained ronny but without much conviction rescuers always have that effect that's why women go in for them did you ever hear of a man doing a rest cure well i've heard of you at overdean said billy maliciously rot you don't call staying with the duchess a rest cure good heavens man you get about the liveliest time of your life when her grace of meldrum undertakes to nurse you did you hear about old pilbury the parson and the toucan yes shut up you've told me that unholy story twice already i say ronny we are begging the question who's to tell her you said ronald decidedly she cares for you like a mother and will take it more easily from you 
then i can step in later on with er manly comfort confound you said billy highly indignant i'm not such a kid as you make out but i'll tell you this if i thought it would be for her real happiness and could be pulled through i would tell her i did it then find erth to-morrow and tell him i had told her so ass said ronny affectionately as if that could mend matters don't you know the earl he was against the hushing up business from the first he would simply punch your head for daring to lie to her and go and tell her the exact truth himself besides at this moment he is thinking more of his side of the question than of hers we fellows have a way of doing that if he had thought first of her he would have stayed with her and seen her through instead of rushing off like this leaving her heartbroken and perplexed confound him said billy earnestly i say billy you know women it was the first time ronny had admitted this don't you think if a woman turned in horror from a man she had loved she might if he were tactfully on the spot turn to a man who had long loved her and of whom she had undoubtedly been fond my knowledge of women declaimed billy dramatically leads me to hope that she would fall into the arms of the man who loved her well enough to risk incurring her displeasure by bravely telling her himself that which she ought confound you whispered ronny who had glanced past billy shut up the meshes of this net are better than the other and the new patent sockets undoubtedly keep it you patient people said lady ingleby's voice just behind billy don't you badly need tea we were admiring the new net said ronald ingram frowning at billy who with his back to lady ingleby continued admiring the new net helplessly speechless there were brave attempts at merriment during tea ronald told all the latest overdeen stories then described the annual concert which had just taken place mrs dalmain was there and sang divinely she sings her husband's songs he accompanies her it is awfully fine to see the light on his blind face as he listens while her glorious voice comes pouring forth when the song is over he gets up from the piano gives her his arm and apparently leads her off very few people realize that as a matter of fact she is guiding him she gave as an encore a jolly little new thing of his quite simple but everybody wanted it twice over an air like summer wind blowing through a pine wood with an accompaniment like a blackbird whistling words something about on god's fair earth mid blossoms blue i forget the rest go ahead bill there is no room for sad despair when heaven's love is everywhere quoted billy who had an excellent memory myra rose hastily i must go in she said but play as long as you like billy walked beside her towards the shrubbery may i come in and see you presently dear queen there is something i want to say come when you will billy boy said lady ingleby with a smile you will find me in my sitting-room and billy looked furtively at ronald hoping he had not seen words and smile undoubtedly partook of the maternal it was a very grave-faced young man who half an hour later appeared in lady ingleby's sitting-room closing the door carefully behind him lady ingleby knew at once that he had come on some matter which at all events to himself appeared of paramount importance billy's days of youthful escapades were over this must be something more serious she rose from her davenport and came to the sofa sit down billy she said indicating an armchair opposite 
lord ingleby's chair and little peter's both had now left it empty billy filled it readily unconscious of its associations rippin flowers remarked billy looking round the room yes said lady ingleby she devoutly hoped billy was not going to propose jolly room said billy at least i always think so yes said lady ingleby so do i billy's eyes roaming anxiously around for fresh inspiration lighted on the portrait over the mantelpiece he started and paled then he knew his hour had come there must be no more beating about the bush billy was a soldier and a brave one he had led a charge once running up a hill ahead of his men in face of a perfect hail of bullets first came billy then the battalion not a man could keep within fifty yards of him they always said afterwards that billy came through that charge alive because he sprinted so fast that no bullets could touch him he rushed at the subject now with the same headlong courage lady ingleby he said there is something ronny and i both think you ought to know is there billy said myra then suppose you tell it me we have sworn not to tell continued billy but i don't care a damn i mean a pin for an oath if your happiness is at stake you must not break an oath billy even for my sake said myra gently well you see if you wished it you were to be the one exception suddenly lady ingleby understood oh billy she said does ronald wish me to be told this gave billy a pang so ronny really counted after all and would walk in over the broken hearts of billy and another in role of manly comforter it was hard but loyally billy made answer yes ronny says it is only right and i think so too i've come to do it if you will let me lady ingleby sat with clasped hands considering after all what did it matter what did anything matter compared to the trouble with jim she looked up at the portrait but michael's pictured face intent on little peter gave her no sign if these boys wished to tell her and get it off their minds why should she not know it would put a stop once and for all to ronny's tragic love-making yes billy she said you may as well tell me the room was very still a rosebud tapped twice against the window-pane it might have been a warning finger neither noticed it it tapped a third time billy cleared his throat and swallowed quickly then he spoke the man who made the blunder he said and fired the mine too soon the man who killed lord ingleby by mistake was the chap you call jim airth nineteen jim airth decides lady ingleby awaited jim airth's arrival in her sitting-room as the hour drew near she rang the bell Grotely, she said when the butler appeared the earl of airth who was here yesterday will call again this afternoon when his lordship comes you can show him in here i shall not be at home to any one else you need not bring tea until i ring for it then she sat down quietly waiting she had resumed the morning temporarily laid aside the black gown hanging about her in soft trailing folds added to the graceful height of her slight figure the white tokens of widowhood at neck and wrists gave to her unusual beauty a pathetic suggestion of wistful loneliness her face was very pale 
a purple tint beneath the tired eyes betokened tears and sleeplessness but the calm steadfast look in those sweet eyes revealed a mind free of all doubt a heart completely at rest she leaned back among the sofa cushions her hands folded in her lap and waited bees hummed in and out of the open windows the scent of freesias filled the room delicate piercingly sweet yet not oppressive to one man forever afterwards the scent of freesias recalled that afternoon the exquisite sweetness of that lovely face the trailing softness of her widow's gown steps in the hall the door opened grotely's voice pompously sonorous broke into the waiting silence the earl of earth milady and jim earth walked in as the door closed behind him myra rose they stood silently confronting one another beneath lord ingleby's picture it almost seemed as though the thoughtful scholarly face must turn from its absorbed contemplation of the little dog to look down for a moment upon them they presented a psychological problem these brave hearts in torment which would surely have proved interesting to the calm student of metaphysics silently they faced one another for the space of a dozen heartbeats then myra with a swift movement went up to jim earth put her arms about his neck and laid her head upon his breast i know my beloved she said you need not give yourself the pain of trying to tell me how a single syllable seemed the most jim's lips for the moment could manage billy told me he and ronald ingram came over yesterday afternoon soon after you left they had passed you on your way to the station they thought i ought to know so billy told me jim eyre's arms closed around her holding her tightly my poor girl he said brokenly they meant well jim they are dear boys they knew you would come back and tell me yourself and they wanted to spare us both that pain i am glad they did it you were quite right when you said it had to be faced alone i could not have been ready for your return if i had not heard the truth and had time to face it alone i am ready now jim jim earth laid his cheek against her soft hair with a groan i have come to say good-bye myra it is all that remains to be said good-bye myra raised a face of terrified questioning jim earth pressed it back to its hiding-place upon his breast i am the man myra whose hand you could never bring yourself to touch in friendship myra lifted her head again the look in her eyes was that of a woman prepared to fight for happiness and life you are the man she said whose little finger is dearer to me than the whole body of anyone else has ever been do you suppose i will give you up jim because of a thing which happened accidentally in the past before you and i ever met ah how little you men understand a woman's heart shall i tell you what i felt when billy told me after the first bewildering shock was over first sorrow for you my dearest a realization of how appalling the mental anguish must have been at the time secondly thankfulness yes intense overwhelming thankfulness to know at last what had come between us and to know it was this thing this mere ghost out of the past nothing tangible or real no wrong of mine against you or of yours against me nothing which need divide us 
jim Earth slowly unlocked his arms took her by the wrists holding her hands against his breast then he looked into her eyes with a silent sadness more forcible than speech my own poor girl he said at length it is impossible for me to marry lord ingleby's widow the strength of his will mastered hers and just as in horseshoe cove her fears had yielded to his dauntless courage so now myra felt her confidence ebbing away before his stern resolve fearful of losing it altogether she drew away her hands and turned to the sofa oh jim she said sit down and let us talk it over she sank back among the cushions and drawing a bowl of roses hastily toward her buried her face in them fearing again to meet the settled sadness of his eyes jim Ayres sat down in the chair left vacant by lord ingleby and peter listen dear he said i need not ask you never to doubt my love that would be absurd from me to you i love you as i did not know it was possible for a man to love a woman i love you in such a way that every fibre of my being will hunger for you night and day through all the years to come but well it would always have come hard to me to stand in another man's shoes and take what has been his i did not feel this when i thought i was following sergeant o'mara because i knew he must always have been in all things so utterly apart from you i could under different circumstances have brought myself to follow ingleby because i realized that he never awakened in you such love as is yours for me his possessions would not have weighted me because it so happens i have lands and houses of my own where we could have lived but to stand in a dead man's shoes when he is dead through an act of mine to take to myself another man's widow when she would still but for a reckless movement of my own right hand have been a wife myra i could not do it even with our great love it would not mean happiness think of it think as we stood together in the sight of god while the church in solemn voice required and charged us both as we should answer at the dreadful day of judgment when the secrets of all hearts should be disclosed that if either of us knew any impediment why we might not be lawfully joined together in matrimony we should then confess it i should cry her husband died by my hand and leave the church with the brand of cain and the infamy of david upon me myra lifted frightened eyes met his beseechingly then bent again over the roses or even if i passed through that ordeal standing mute in the solemn silence what of the moment when the church bade me to take your right hand in my right hand myra my right hand she rose came swiftly over and knelt before him she took his hand and covered it with tears and kisses she held it sobbing to her heart dearest she said i will never ask you to do for my sake anything you feel impossible or wrong but oh in this i know you are mistaken i cannot argue or explain i cannot put my reasons into words but i know our living longing love ought to come before the happenings of a dead past michael lost his life through an accident that the accident was caused by a mistake on your part is fearfully hard for you but there is no moral wrong in it you might as well blame the company whose boat took him abroad or the government which decided on the expedition or the war office people who accepted him when he volunteered i am sure i don't know what david did i thought he was a quite excellent person but i do know about cain 
and i am perfectly certain that the brand of cain could never rest on any one because of an unpremeditated accident oh jim cannot you look at it reasonably i looked at it reasonably after a while until yesterday said jim Earth. at first of course all was blank ghastly despair oh myra let me tell you i have never been able to tell any one go back to the couch i can't let you kneel here sit down over there and let me tell you lady ingleby rose at once and returned to her seat then sat listening her yearning eyes fixed upon his bowed head he had momentarily forgotten what the events of that night had cost her so also had she her only thought was of his pain jim Earth began to speak in low hurried tones haunted with a horror of reminiscence i can see it now the little stuffy tent the hidden light i was already sickening for fever working with a temperature of a hundred and two i hadn't slept for two nights and my head felt as if it were two large eyes and those eyes both bruises i knew i ought to knock under and give the job to another man but ingleby and i had worked it all out together and i was dead keen on it it was a place where no big guns could go but our little arrangement which you could carry in one hand would do better and surer work than half a dozen big guns there was a long wait after ingleby and the other fellow it was ingram started cathcart left behind with me was in and out of the tent but he couldn't stay still two minutes he was afraid of missing the rush so i was alone when the signal came we found afterwards that ingram had crawled out of the tunnel and gone to take a message to the nearest ambush ingleby was left alone he signalled placed as agreed i took it to be fire and acted instantly the moment i had done it i realized my mistake but that same instant came the roar and the hot silent night was turned to pandemonium i dashed out of the tent shouting for ingleby good god it was like hell the yelling swearing tommies making up for the long enforced silence and inaction the hordes of dark devilish faces leering in their fury and jeering at our discomfiture for inside their outer wall was a rampart of double the strength and we were no nearer taking targay afterwards if i hadn't owned up at once to my mistake nobody would have known how the thing had happened even then they tried to persuade me the wrong signal had been given but i knew better and on the spot it was impossible to find well any actual proofs of what had happened the gap had been filled at once with the crowds of yelling jostling tommies mad to get into the town jove how those chaps fight when they get the chance when all was over several were missing who were not among the dead they must have forced themselves in where they could not get back and been taken prisoners god alone knows their fate poor beggars yet i envied them for when the row was over my hell began myra i would have given my whole life to have had that minute over again and it was maddening to know that the business might have been done all right with any old fuse only we were so keen over our new ideas for signalling and our portable electric apparatus oh good lord i knew despair those days and nights i was down with fever and they took away my sword and guns and razors i couldn't imagine why even despair doesn't take me that way but if a chap could have come into my tent and said you didn't kill ingleby after all he's all right and alive i would have given my life gladly for that moment's relief but no present anguish can undo a past mistake 
well i pulled through the fever life had to be lived and i suppose i'm not the sort of chap to take a morbid view when i found the thing was to be kept quiet when the few who knew the ins and outs stood by me like the good fellows they were saying it might have happened to any of them and as soon as i got fit again i should see the only rotten thing would be to let it spoil my future i made up my mind to put it clean away and live it down you know they say out in the great western country god almighty hates a quitter it is one of the stimulating tenets of their fine practical theology i had fought through other hard times i determined to fight through this i succeeded so well that it even seemed natural to go on with the work ingleby and i had been doing together and carry it through and when notes of his were needed i came to his own home without a qualm to ask his widow the woman i by my mistake had widowed for permission to have and to use them i came my mind full of the rich joy of life and love with scarcely room for a passing pang of regret as i entered the house without a master the home without a head knowing i was about to meet the woman i had widowed truly the mills of god grind slowly but they grind exceedingly small i had thrown off too easily what should have been a lifelong burden of regret in the woman i had widowed i found the woman i was about to wed good god was there ever so hard a retribution jim said myra gently is there not another side to the picture does it not strike you that it should have seemed beautiful to find that god and his wonderful providence had put you in a position to be able to take care of michael's widow left so helpless and alone that in saving her life by the strength of your right hand you had atoned for the death that hand had unwittingly dealt that though the past cannot be undone it can sometimes be wiped out by the present oh jim cannot you see it thus and keep and hold the right to take care of me for ever my beloved let us never from this moment part i will come away with you at once we can get a special license and be married immediately we will let shenston and let the house in park lane and live abroad anywhere you will jim only together together take me away to-day maggie o'mara can attend me until we are married but i can't face life without you jim i can't god knows i can't jim Earth looked up a gleam of hope in his sad eyes then he looked away that her appealing loveliness might not too much tempt him while making his decision he lifted his eyes and alas they fell on the portrait over the mantelpiece he shivered i can never marry lord ingleby's widow he said myra how can you wish it the thing would haunt us it would be evil unnatural night and day it would be there it would come between us some day you would reproach me ah hush cried myra sharply not that i am suffering enough at least spare me that then putting aside once more her own pain would it not be happiness to you jim she asked with wistful gentleness happiness cried jim Earth violently it would be hell lady ingleby rose her face as white as the large arum lily in the corner behind her then that settles it she said and do you know i think we had better not speak of it any more i am going to ring for tea 
and if you will excuse me for a few moments while they are bringing it i will search among my husband's papers and try to find those you require for your book she passed swiftly out through the closed door the man she left alone heard her giving quiet orders in the hall he crossed the room in two great strides to follow her but at the door he paused turned and came slowly back he stood on the hearth rug with bent head rigid motionless suddenly he lifted his eyes to lord ingleby's portrait curse you he said through clenched teeth and beat his fists upon the marble mantelpiece curse your explosives and curse your inventions and curse you for taking her first then he dropped into a chair and buried his face in his hands oh god forgive me he whispered brokenly but there is a limit to what a man can bear he scarcely noticed the entrance of the footman who brought tea but when a lighter step paused at the door he lifted a haggard face expecting to see myra a quiet woman entered simply dressed in black merino her white linen collar and cuffs gave her the look of a hospital nurse her dark hair neatly parted was smoothly coiled round her head she came in deferentially yet with a quiet dignity of manner i have come to pour your tea my lord she said lady ingleby is not well and fears she must remain in her room she asks me to give you these papers then the earl of Erith and monteith rose to his feet and held out his hand i think you must be mrs o'mara he said i am glad to meet you and it is kind of you to give me tea i have heard of you before and i believe i saw you yesterday on the steps of your pretty house as i drove up the avenue will you allow me to tell you how often when we stood shoulder to shoulder in times of difficulty and danger i had reason to respect and admire the brave comrade i knew as sergeant o'mara before quitting shenstone jim Erith sat at myra's davenport and wrote a letter leaving it with mrs o'mara to place in lady ingleby's hands as soon as he had gone i do not wonder you felt unable to see me again forgive me for all the grief i have caused and am causing you i shall go abroad as soon as may be but am obliged to remain in town until i have completed work which i am under contract with my publishers to finish it will take a month at most if you want me myra i mean if you need me i could come at any moment a wire to my club would always find me End of chapters 18 and 19